Well, good morning, everybody. Why don't we go ahead and I'll uh, open us up in a word of prayer, and uh, we can get into our study in Daniel. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. We just give you praise for another time that we can get together and, and worship you, Lord, and, and be together as a church body. Just pray, Lord, that you would bless our time here together. Pray that you would be with us as we, as we uh, edify and encourage one another, Lord. Uh, pray that you would be with us as we uh, hear your word being taught. Just pray, Lord, that you would give us insight into the book of Daniel this morning and the book of Matthew later on. Just pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand these uh, phenomenal uh, books, uh, this word that you've given us, Lord, and, and help us to uh, just understand how we can apply it to our lives. Lord, we just uh, pray now that you'd be with us as we study uh, this prophecy and pray, Lord, that uh, um, Lord, you would be glorified and honored uh, by all that we do here this morning. You know, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 12. We're very near to the end of our study in Daniel as we start to look at the final chapter of this marvelous book. We'll see in this chapter the final thoughts and details that God wanted us to know through this godly prophet of his. Um, as we've mentioned many times over the last several studies together, chapters 10 through 12 are all related. They all deal with the final revelation given to Daniel by God, or at least the final revelation given to Daniel that we have recorded for us by God. Uh, we really have no idea how much longer Daniel lived after this point, nor do we know how God used him throughout the rest of his life. But what we have in these three chapters is the final revelation that God recorded for us through the prophet Daniel. Throughout chapter 11, if you remember, chapter 10 was a narrative introduction to this final revelation, this final uh, prophecy. But throughout what was revealed to Daniel in chapter 11, we got a glimpse into the way in which God used the forces of this world to influence the nation of Israel and really to punish or discipline the nation of Israel. Daniel started off the retelling of this account in chapter 10 by stating that in verse 1 of chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. So Daniel understood what the angel had given to him, and he understood that it was a true message, and he understood that it was a message of great conflict. And this message that was revealed to Daniel was the truth that came from God. And that was reaffirmed later in the chapter when the angel told him down in verse 21, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. So the angel was telling him of things that had already been predetermined by God, already written down in God's plans for the world. And these plans are revealed here involved this great conflict involved the conflict that would have to be endured by the nation Israel at the hands of the great nations of the world, the Gentile nations. In our studies, we've seen the nations suffer at the hands of the Babylonians. We've seen them suffer at the hands of the Persians, the Greeks, and even the Romans. With the primary conflict with Rome still to come at the hands of the man that we know as the Antichrist. 
We've seen the details of events that were given to Daniel as, as future events in history, because from Daniel's perspective, all these things were yet future, but primarily they were events that we can look at in our history books to see just how nation after nation, king after king, marched through and over the nation of Israel and how badly God's people had to suffer at their hands. We've talked at great length about the punishment that the nation is under even today. The times of the Gentiles where because of their sin, because of their unbelief, they, and, uh, they are and they have been enduring the discipline of God um, that he has brought about upon them at the hands of Gentile nations. That's what this time period that we've read about in chapter 11 was really all about. This time of trial that is meant to purge them. If you look back at chapter 11, verse 35 quickly, just after talking about one of these events, at the hands of the man known as Antiochus Epiphanes, the angel makes this broader statement in verse 35 where he says, and some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time because it is still to come at the appointed time. All that they suffered here that we looked at in that chapter, all that they have suffered since has been for this very purpose, to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time. The end time, the time that he then goes into when he talks about the final prince, the final ruler, the beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist. The man who will rule the earth right up until the very end. And the end will be when Jesus Christ comes back to earth and takes back what is rightfully his. Right up until that time, the nation will be refined, purged, and made pure through the Lord's discipline on them. Now, as we've seen in great detail, in great, great detail, this has not been a pleasant picture. This has not been a pleasant time for any of them. Even Daniel, at the time that he's receiving this revelation, is having a hard time understanding why haven't the people returned back to their land? They were supposed to go back after 70 years. And some did, around 45,000 of them or so did, but the majority of the people that were in the land of Babylon did not go back. And he was struggling to understand why that was. Well, the reason, as the angels are revealing to him, is because that was the, a short-term restoration. The people were allowed to go back after 70 years, but that was not a final restoration to the land. It was not a restoration that put an end to their sinful ways, to their idolatry, their harlotry against other gods or with other gods. That final restoration wasn't going to happen back at that point in time. It was going to happen at the end time, the time that the angel is getting to as we get to chapter 12. You see, as depressing and disheartening as all of this may be for Daniel, and it probably was, right? The angel had laid some pretty heavy stuff on Daniel throughout these chapters. We have to keep in mind that really this message, what he's giving him, is a message of hope. Because even though a good majority of this plan involves the nation's discipline, the discipline of the nation, it's still a plan for the nation, for Daniel's people. God still has something planned for them. The final plan involves their rescue 
from this discipline. It involves their restoration after having been removed from God's blessing. It involves their coming into the land and finally, and having it be completely restored to them for all eternity. This message is a message of conflict. There will be a lot of conflict during this purging, but ultimately it's a message of hope for the Jewish nation. Hope is vital to not just the Jewish nation, but hope is vital to all of us, right? If we don't have hope, there's very little reason to go on. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, listed hope as being right up there with faith and love. One of the three things that we should all abide. Man needs to have hope in his life. Otherwise, he has nothing but despair. And when you take a look at a list of events like we're seeing here for the nation of Israel, there has to be something at the end that brings about hope at the end of that dark, dark tunnel. And that's what we're going to see as we come to the beginning of Daniel chapter 12. In the first three verses of chapter 12, we see the restoration of Israel. We see their part in all that has been going on in this prophecy. Really, throughout um, all that the angel has told him so far, Israel has been surprisingly absent. They are in view in the sense that all of these events took place around them, and they were involved in all of these conflicts. But the main focus thus far has been on the Gentile nations, the, the northern and the southern armies, and what they've been doing. What they've been doing in and around Israel. Now, as we come to chapter 12, verse 1, we see the focus shift directly to Daniel's people, and this is the Jews. They are solely in view here, and we're going to get to see just what is in store for them during this end time. And this is their hope, the hope that belongs to them as they face their trials and tribulations even today. We'll look at verse 1 of chapter 12, and we're not going to get very far. Now, at that time, now stop right there. (laughs) Now, at that time, what time? We always have to ask ourselves when you see the time question, right? What time is he talking about? Well, This is at the same time that the angel has just been discussing. The time that surrounds the events of verses 36 through 45 of chapter 11. What did we see there? We saw the Antichrist and his time period. We saw the time of Daniel's 70th week, the time of the Great Tribulation. We saw the battles that would take place around the nation of Israel as Antichrist at first, protects Israel against the surrounding nations. It talks about the northern and the southern uh, armies again. And then as he assumes control over, he assumes control over the nation. And eventually, as he dissolves the covenant that he will make with them and turn from being their biggest protector, because he forms that alliance with them, to their most feared enemy. And this is the time frame and the context that we're talking about here. We have, a, we have a break from one chapter to the next, but there is really no break in the thought here. The events that we saw in those last 10 verses of chapter 11 all take place right around the middle of that seven-year tribulation period. And they will carry on until the end of that time. Now, why is that? What will happen again at that middle point? Well, look back with me a couple chapters to chapter 9 once again. We saw it there. Look down at verse 27. And he, that is the Antichrist, 
will make a firm covenant with the many, that is the Jewish nation, for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So he, the Antichrist, establishes a peace treaty, a covenant with Israel for one week. And remember, this is a seven-year period, right? We talked about that when we were back in chapter 9. So it's a seven-year period. But that's the time that we know as Daniel's 70th week. And during this time, the Antichrist will be their biggest defender up until when? The middle of that week. And then that all changes. The Antichrist turns on them. He unleashes his weapons of war, and this will not cease until he comes to his end, and that will come at the end of that seven-year period. So for that half of the week, 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, these are all references that you see in Scripture to that time period, he will bring about nothing but turmoil and tribulation on the Jewish people. So this is that time that we're seeing here. At that time, these things that the angel goes on to say next are happening at that time. Well, what does he go on to say? There are a number of things presented here if you're back in chapter 12. So again in verse 1, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. So right here, we have three things that he says are going to happen. There are three things that will come about during this tribulation period. Michael will arise, he says. There will be a time of distress, and people will be rescued. And that's not all. The next verses have more, but we'll deal with these three things first. Now, of those three things, I want to talk about the second one first, because it ties in with what we've already been talking about and some of the things we've already been seeing, the time of distress. So look at the middle of the verse again, where he says, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Now, if you look at that, you read that, that's quite a statement to make. Look at what it's saying. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Note the scope of the time period that's involved here in this. What we have here is a statement that covers the entirety of Israel's existence. Note that first of all. Since there was a nation... From the very beginning of the nation of Israel, way back in the past to when they first started, until that time, which is, as we've already seen, the end time, the time of the 70th week, that's the entire time frame of Israel's existence. So at that time, there will be a time of distress that has never before been seen or experienced. Never occurred, he says. This will be the absolute worst period of Israel's entire existence. Israel, if you look at their history, has suffered through many terrible things in their existence. Right? You can see that throughout Scripture. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 40 years of wandering. You look at the times of the judges, where they were punished over and over again by foreign nations. 
the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians and for all intents and purposes never really returned. The Babylonian captivity, which we've seen throughout our study in Daniel. Antiochus Epiphanes and the atrocities that he committed against them. They suffered at the hands of the Romans. They suffered at the hands of the Crusaders. They suffered at the hands of the Turks and the Arab nations. And none of us can forget, we're probably all most familiar with the atrocities committed against the Jews at the hands of Nazi Germany. Six million of them dead. And yet here, the angel tells Daniel the distress that they will experience at this time will be the worst in their entire history. That's a terrifying thought. To think that as bad as they've had it in all of their existence so far, there is coming a time when it's going to be even worse than that. And you know, this is not the only place that we see this. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Probably the greatest validation of these truths that we read here in Daniel, the the corroboration of what we're seeing here comes from the mouth of the Lord himself in Matthew 24. And I know Josh is taking us through this chapter in the next hour, so I'll try to leave some material for him as we go through this, but no. I won't take all this under. Uh, We'll just read through some of what it says here. It'll be a good introduction for the next hour. But in the beginning of, beginning of the chapter, he goes through and talks about the signs of the end times, the times leading up to that last week. And then he says this, starting in verse 15 of Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So here we see this tying in with what we just read a few minutes ago in Daniel 9:27. It says, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Um, so this is when Antichrist puts an end to the sacrifices and grain offerings in the middle of the week. So right here, Jesus himself is tying these events together. And then he goes on, verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out that are in his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. What's going on here? There's trouble coming. There's great trouble coming. Flee to the mountains. Don't even take the time to get your cloak or anything out of your house. Pray that you won't be with children or trying to flee in the winter. Why? Why the urgency? Look at verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved for the sake of the elect. Those days shall be cut short. There will be a great tribulation, he says. Jesus even takes it a step further than what the angel tells Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, it's not only the worst thing to happen in Israel's existence, but the worst thing that the world has ever seen, he says. In fact, it's going to be so bad that Antichrist is going to be on such a rampage that if God did not limit this to just that three and a half year period, no one would survive. That's how bad this is going to get. This is what the nation of Israel, all those who are living at that time, are going to have to go through, the punishment by God that they're going to have to endure. 
But you know what? That's not all. Because it's not just the Antichrist that Israel is going to have to endure at this time. The book of Revelation gives us a look into what will happen in the world during this time as well. In in chapters 6 through 19, it tells us that there will be wars, but there will also be famine. And we looked at some of these events in our last study. We looked at a lot of the wars um, that are going to happen. We don't know the specific wars, but we know some of the battles and some of the events and, and armies involved. And in light of that, I, wanna, I, wanna, I need to correct something that I mentioned last week. And Todd and I talked about this a little bit, and I looked into it a little bit more. Um, the reference to the 200 million that we talked about last week, that is apparently a demonic force, not, a, not an actual human army. So we talked a little bit about whether that could come from China, maybe India, they would have the the people that could do that, but it looks like that is more of a demonic force, 200 million uh, demons uh, in that army. So um, forget I said anything about China or, or India. The, the, northern, the northern and the eastern rumors that they hear in that, in that context, uh, there's still something coming out um, from those directions, uh, but it's not that 200 million. I just tied that in, and it shouldn't have been tied in there. So, But it's easy to forget sometimes that there will be other things going on in the world other than just what the Antichrist is doing, other than just these human battles. The judgments are also being poured out on the world, which most likely will add fuel to the fire of the Antichrist, getting the world to join him in opposition to God. All these horrible, terrible things going on on the earth. But in studying these events that will be going on, we see things like a quarter of the world's population dying, a third of the world destroyed, a third of the seas and the oceans destroyed, a third of the stars destroyed. Living creatures in the sea will be killed, fresh water will be polluted, people will suffer through body sores, pain and agony, burning uh, by the intensity of the sun, and on and on it goes. These are some of the things that we read about that will be going on at this time. And all of these things will be going on at this time. It won't just be the Antichrist that they have to contend with. According to Zechariah 13.8, there will be only a third of the Jews that will come through this time period. Recent estimates, we just go by world population today, recent estimates have the Jewish population anywhere between 15 and 24 million, which would mean that anywhere from 10 to 16 million Jews would perish if the tribulation was to go on with those numbers today. That's not a pleasant picture, right? That's that's pretty bleak. But they won't be alone in this. There will be many Gentiles that die during this time as well, but the focus here in Daniel chapter 12 is on Daniel's people. This is that time of distress that the angel's talking about. So that's one of the things that the angel tells Daniel about. But it's tragic as that is, that two-thirds of them will perish, it's by God's grace that one-third of them will survive, and that's where the hope comes in again, right? Remember, we were talking about hope at the beginning. Look again at what it said at the beginning of verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. Remember Michael? This angel, we has, uh, has talked about him before, back in chapter 10. We saw Michael back then, or a reference to him. 
It was Michael that he referred to as one of the chief princes, and he referred to him as your prince in verse 21 of that chapter. Michael is one of the archangels, and he has a very special role, which we'll see here in this verse. Remember what he was doing back in chapter 10 when we first saw him. He was helping the angel fight against the demon of Persia, coming in to free him from that fight so that he could deliver this message from Dan- to Daniel. Because remember, this message was 21 days in, the, in, the, uh, in travel time for this, this angel, right? He was delayed for 21 days by a demon. So here we see that it's Michael that stands guard over the sons of your people, which once again would be the Jewish nation. He's talking to Daniel. It's Daniel's people. Michael is the protector of Israel. He's the angel who is specifically tasked with protecting God's chosen nation. In the book of Jude, it's Michael who we see um, was in a dispute with Satan himself over the body of Moses, fulfilling that role of protecting the nation even to that degree, even to down to the, the body of Moses. If you think about it, What a job that Michael's been tasked with. He's supposed to be Israel's protector, and yet Israel is under the discipline of God. He's kind of working at a disadvantage, it almost seems like. But he knows that he's not going to protect them all. But he is going to be able to protect some of them. And most importantly, he's tasked with accomplishing God's will through all that happens to them. Now we see who Michael is, but what will he do at that time? It says here that he will arise. What does that mean? What does it mean that Michael will arise? Well, I believe it means that Michael is going to be, I guess unleashed could be a word to use if you want to use that word, and allowed to accomplish what he was tasked to do. And I believe that is seen in the book of Revelation. So turn over with me to Revelation in the 12th chapter. And I think this ties in here with what we're seeing. Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 1. We'll just start in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the, clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and, one, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now we've seen this verse in some of our previous studies. The woman in view here is Israel. The 12 stars on her head are the 12 tribes. And the imagery of the heavenly bodies that characterize her here, uh, we've seen before when, back when we were in Daniel chapter 8. Talking about the stars of heaven being cast down and the Jews being killed. So if there's still any doubt of who this is, then it's really decided when we look at her giving birth. Look down at verse 5 where it says, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That is none other than Jesus Christ himself, right? Referred to there. This is the Messiah of Israel, the one who will rule with a rod of iron, the one who sits in the very presence of of God the Father even today. So this is the introduction to the characters here. But now look back at verse 3. We skipped over a couple verses. Look back at verse 3 and we see the other character introduced. 
And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So the red dragon here, this is Satan. And that's not in dispute because it states states it plainly when you get down to verse 9. When Satan rebelled in heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. Those would be what we know as demons, right? Those are the demons. And it is Satan's mission to thwart God at every turn. And here we see that it was his mission to try to stop Christ from being born. And when I say it's his mission, I don't mean that God told him to do this. I mean that's what he, that's what he wants to do, right? So he makes it his mission to try to stop Christ from even being born. And short of that, he tried to have him killed after he was born. And starting out when he was just a baby, Herod tried to find him and have him executed, right? We know that from the Gospels. No doubt under this satanic influence. So, there are, so those are the main characters in view here, the woman and the dragon, Israel and Satan. Now the action skips ahead in time when we get to verse 6. Verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. 1,260 days. What time period are we in? Israel fleeing into the wilderness for a time period of 1,260 days, 42 months, or three and a half years. We're in that last part of the seven-year tribulation. This is the latter half of the tribulation, the time of distress that we've been talking about. Okay, now look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we see what this is. This is Michael arising. This is Michael unleashed to finally, once and for all, kick Satan and his demons out of heaven. Remember, it's a two-thirds to one-third fight, isn't it? Satan took a third of the angels with him, which means that there's two-thirds of the angels that still um, are in heaven and on God's side. So Michael has an army twice the size that Satan has, so there's really no contest here. God has Satan evicted from heaven, and Michael make sure that he leaves the premises. Now, how does this help Israel? Israel is on earth. How does Satan getting kicked out of heaven help them? Well, look at verse 10 of Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. This war represents a shift in the dynamic. The full and final restoration is a beginning to take place. Satan today has access to the presence of God. He stands and accuses God's people of sin. He stands and reminds reminds him of their transgressions. That will no longer be the case. 
The authority that he had been given, uh, that had been given to Satan upon the earth, at that time Christ will be taking that authority back. The kingdom that Israel had been promised, had been anticipating, had been longing for, it's now within reach. It's about to come upon the earth. When Michael arises to defend Israel with his war in heaven, the stage is set for the coming kingdom. But before we leave Revelation 12, there's one more thing to note. Look at the end of verse 12. It says, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So the stage is set in heaven, in the spiritual realm, but this war will have consequences on the earth, dire, drastic consequences. Look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman to give birth to the male child, who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half, time, times, and half a time, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus." Having Satan cast down to earth is good in the grand scheme of things, but for those on earth during that three and a half years, it's going to be a time of great distress. This is why back in Daniel 12, the angel saying that Michael will arise comes before the time of distress is mentioned because that horrible time is going to be fed by Satan's wrath during those 42 months. And it's the very next chapter of Revelation that talks about the beast, the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 2 says, And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Antichrist is going to be the instrument that focuses the wrath of Satan upon the people of Israel. And you see how this all works together. This is amazing stuff that we're seeing here. So turn back to Daniel 12. It's a bleak picture when you think about the tribulation at all, and the great tribulation, the end three and a half years. But at the end of verse 1, Daniel 12, here's the hope that Israel is looking for. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Through this time of distress, they will be protected and ultimately rescued. Israel will be saved. Listen to some of these verses. Romans eleven twenty six, which says, And thus all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And those who plunder you shall be for plunder, and all who prey upon you I will give for prey. For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. 
And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but, a, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they, I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. These are just a few examples of the promises that God has made, of the certainty that the Bible shows about the fact that Israel will be preserved, rescued, saved by God, just as we're seeing the angel tell Daniel here in Daniel chapter 12. Now, we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating whenever we talk about Israel being saved. Does this mean that every single Jew will be saved? No, it does not. Does it mean that the people will be saved just because they are Jewish? No, it does not. What it means is that of those who are left of the nation of Israel, God will be preserving those that truly belong to him, just like we read in Zechariah 13. Two parts will be cut off and perish, but the last third will be refined, purged, and tested. At the end of this time, the ones who will be left standing and calling upon the name of the Lord, and don't miss that aspect of it, calling upon the name of the Lord, only those who have put their faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ will call upon the name of the Lord. If they do that, and they are of the physical nation of Israel, they will be the true Israel. They will be the ones to walk right into the kingdom that God has prepared. Notice at the end of verse 1, Daniel even makes mention that it's not just everyone. It says it's everyone who was found written in the book. Everyone that has their name etched in God's book of life, the same book that will be pulled out at the great white throne judgment, the judgment upon unbelievers, to show those who are perishing that their names aren't in the book. That's how the book is going to be used at that judgment. The ones whose name are in this book were written there by God from eternity past. He, he sovereignly determined whose names are there. We're talking about redeemed Israel here, not just those who have the heritage, the lineage from Abraham, but those from that line who have put their complete faith and trust in God for their salvation. During the time of the tribulation, God will preserve the gospel message. Revelation 11 talks about the two witnesses who will prophesy for 42 months and then experience very public deaths. And then there are also the 144,000 in chapters 7 and 14, which will be sealed by God and they will know the true message of salvation. The gospel message will not be stopped during this time. It will be greatly opposed. It will be dangerous for people to speak about it, even more dangerous than parts of the world today. But people will be saved during this time through the power of the gospel. This is God bringing about his promise. This will be the national restoration of the nation of Israel. But not only is there hope for believing Jews who are alive at that time, but for believing Jews throughout history. Look at verse 2 of Daniel 12. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, 
these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Not only will there be redemption for the living, but there will be resurrection for those that have already died. As with all parts of Scripture, the resurrection is a bodily, physical resurrection. It's not a spiritual or mystical thing. Some people like to to pretend that that's what that's talking about. This is talking about a bodily resurrection. When the Bible talks about resurrection, we're talking about the physical bodies of the dead being raised, either to glory or to judgment. The word used here, sleep, very appropriate word, because that's what the body does. Paul uses the same terminology in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The body ceases to function, but the person moves away from it. So in essence, the body is just asleep until the time when the spirit and the body are rejoined. This happens for everyone. It's at that point that they will be taken, or will awaken, I'm sorry. Now there are two different resurrections, and we see that here. There's a resurrection of believers to everlasting life. There's the resurrection of unbelievers to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now I also need to point out that the first resurrection of believers, there are multiple parts, uh, doesn't happen all at the same time. In fact, it occurs in three different parts, um, or maybe a better way to say that, there's three different events, events that occur with the resurrection of believers. Event one was the resurrection of Christ. He was the first fruits. His resurrection is what makes everyone else's resurrection possible. We were blessed to celebrate that just last week. Event two, the resurrection of the church age saints, which occurs at the time of the rapture. This is the part that we here are looking forward to someday as members of the church. And that's the next event that's in store for us. And event three, and this is what's in view here, is the resurrection of the Old Testament and tribulation saints. The resurrection will be predominantly for Israel. Believers, saints in every age, will be bodily resurrected and given glorified bodies during this resurrection, given bodies that will last for all eternity. And if you haven't read through 1 Corinthians 15 lately, other than the first 11 verses, which we just went through last week, it would be a good idea to do that to see what that will all entail. It gives the most complete description of the resurrections. But also there's the other resurrection, the second resurrection, the other type of resurrection. And that will take place a thousand years after the resurrection of the Old Testament and tribulation saints mentioned here in verse 2. This verse spans a thousand years. Angel doesn't mention that. Daniel didn't know that. It was a mystery to him because that part hadn't been revealed. But we know that this resurrection will be of the unbelievers uh, will take place after the end of the millennial kingdom at the great white throne judgment, which I alluded to before. We've got time. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. We'll go ahead and take a look at this one. In verse 2 of Revelation 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Verse 4 is another reference to the resurrection of the tribulation saints, those that believed and died during the tribulation. They come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So there's the millennial kingdom established. 
By the way, in this chapter, some people look at these events and they, ask, they actually ask the question, well, how, I wonder how long this is going to be. Well, it says it pretty plainly. Verse 2 says a thousand years. Verse 3 says the thousand years. Verse 4 says a thousand years. Verse 5 says the thousand years. Verse 6 says a thousand years. Verse 7 says the thousand years. I don't know about you, but something being repeated six times in six verses makes it pretty clear to me that we're talking about a thousand years here. But anyway, down in verse 11, that was just an aside. Down in verse 11, as part of the events that take place after the thousand years are complete, we have this scene. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And we talked about that one a few minutes ago. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here it is. This is the resurrection where unbelievers will rise and, the, and be given bodies that will last for all eternity as well. But they will be judged and sent to hell for all of that time. To disgrace and everlasting contempt is what the angel says back in Daniel chapter 12. It's a tragic picture, but it's a sober reminder of the terrible consequences of sin, of unbelief. Just as Israel can read these words and have hope, there is a sober message of warning here for people today as well, and that's really for Jew and Gentile alike. So back in Daniel 12, as we come to verse 3, we see the end result of the salvation and the resurrection to glory. It says in verse 3, And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the end state for believers. As Daniel is hearing this, this refers to his people, and that is what he has in mind. But the angel says that this is for those who have insight. They are the ones who have believed. Those are the ones that have been redeemed, who have put their faith and trust in God for salvation. This is going to be true of all believers in eternity. No matter what age in which they were saved, we will shine brightly in the glory of the Lord. We will all, every one of us, shine with the magnificent brightness of the glory of God for all eternity. We will be the stars of heaven. It's an interesting illustration when you talk about stars. We talk about stars today when you talk about somebody who's a star. When we talk about that in the world, who are our stars today? People talk about movie stars, right? They talk about sports stars, musical stars, social media stars. They're the ones that shine the brightest in the world. They draw everyone's attention, right? All the focus is on them. They're the ones who people are most focused upon, but they aren't God's stars, God is not impressed with all that. Who will shine the biggest and the brightest here? What does it say? And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God's all stars, if you will, are those who have insight 
into the gospel and lead others to righteousness. The evangelists, the witnesses, I think this puts a light on what is really important here. It's not those who have enacted change through politics or have donated the most to charitable organizations. It's those who have led many to righteousness. I really think that this was added here for Daniel's sake because of his current burden for his people. Going around trying to convince the Jews to return to the land, sharing the visions that he had been given by God, Daniel was evangelizing his own people at this time. And he's told here that that will be rewarded in glory. So what a marvelous hope that they're given. Through all this distress, through all these terrible things that we know are coming upon the people, there's a tremendous picture of glory that awaits those who truly belong to him. There are really only two options in life, two courses. And that's true for Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. We either live with hope, knowing that someday we will be a part of that first resurrection, resurrection to eternal life. Or we live with a false hope. Because the only other alternative is to wait for the second resurrection, the one that leads to disgrace and eternal contempt. That's all there is. There's only two choices. And so first off, we need to know which path that we're on and take a look at our own lives and acknowledge if we have ever truly put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Have we truly acknowledged our own helpless, sinful condition and accepted his gift of salvation on the cross? And if the answer to that is yes, and I pray for all of us here that it is, then we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to change the path of others around us? Do we have the same kind of compassion for those who are lost that God has for them? Are we setting ourselves up to be God's all-stars, if you will, by sharing our faith and leading others to righteousness? Sharing the message of the gospel. That ought to be our top priority, ought to be what we are focused on here on the earth today. And it's not for our own glory, but it's so that we will someday shine bright in the glory of our Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you once again, and we just give you praise, Lord, for uh, the book of Daniel. We thank you, Lord, for the message that uh, we see here and the, the plans that you have, uh, not only for the future of Israel, Lord, but for the future of all those who believe in you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just the way that you are working in, in our lives and in the lives of others, Lord. And we pray that we would be a light for you as we go out and share the gospel, as we go out and talk to people about uh, the message that they truly need, Lord. Um, they need to know that they are sinners they need to know that they need you as their Savior. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold, help us to be witnesses for you in any and every situation. I thank you, Lord, again for our time here together. I pray that you would be with us as we uh, uh, just have time of fellowship, as we have time of worship in the next hour. I just pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored by all that we do here. And, Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.